focusing on building a ethical machine because I don't think no matter how much enhancement a human has, we can't compete with an, with an artificial general intelligence. My interest was never to, to create something that was permanent. It was always to create a therapy, that, therapy device that you use to improve your condition. And once you've, once you've used it, you take it off and go on with the rest of your day. listening to Widdishin's podcast, where we take the ultimate sci-fi themes found in books and movies and discuss them with the world's leading scientists, engineers, and experts. This week's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors and preferred retailers, Wordery at the Book Depository. My name is Amy Rose, and in this episode, I have a conversation with Casey Fluger. Now, Casey and I are the founders of Cortex Brainwave Technologies, and we're developing a brain-computer interface headset for the treatment of autism and ADHD. Now, I don't usually talk about the projects outside of hosting Widdishin's podcast, but there are a few things I'm involved in, and this particular project is something really close to my heart because my focus is on ethical and human-centered technologies for the betterment of mankind. And I believe that this is one of the most important things that I'm going to do in my lifetime. So in this episode, I have quite a candid conversation with Casey. After all, we do talk daily. So I took the opportunity to ask him questions I haven't thought to ask him before. This episode is a bit of an insight into what we're working on at the moment. So let's have a listen to my conversation with my friend, colleague, and co-founder, Casey Fluger from Cortex Brainwave Technologies. Casey Fluger, welcome to Widdishin's podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Casey, my listeners don't have a great deal of knowledge about um, what we're doing with Cortex Brainwave Technologies and the brain-computer head, headset that we're developing at the moment. So part of this season is about um, artificial intelligence and technology and how it's going to impact on our future. So this particular episode, we're going to be talking about brain-computer interfaces, and you are an absolute genius when it comes to these things. So I'm going to be picking your brain, and although I know some of the answers to them, I've never actually had a conversation where I have all of these questions answered to the full extent as a way you can actually express without any limitations. Um, so here we go. <laughs> well, I'll hap- I'll hap- I'm happy to, to answer the best of my capacity. And look, if always, if there's any question, extra questions that we have that neither of us can answer, we can always um, find out afterwards. I mean, Always, I find when when you and I talk, sometimes we have an insight that we didn't have before. So yeah, it's always cool. Yeah, it's it's been really fun bouncing off each other actually, because you are an expert in this particular technology, and I'm relatively new to it. In fact, when I say relatively new, I'm I when I first met you was so green. 
I literally had no idea what or how a brain-computer interface can help people with autism and ADHD. I only ever had Elon Musk Neuralink in my head, uh, which was disturbing. So that's where I think it's going to be fun to talk about the amazing ways in which brain-computer interfaces are going to impact on society. So I'm pretty excited to talk to you about that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's very valid to... Um to be talking about that, especially with the recent um, release of the the live live stream from Elon Musk, which I found personally quite disturbing, to be <laughs> honest, because there are so many ethical concerns around an implanted brain computer interface, because it's it it it's not like a um, it's not like a cochlear implant where it's replacing your lack of ability to to hear things this is something that could actually change your brain activity and that that does raise a lot of ethical concerns so they're going to have to be very careful about the way they write their software i think so too and with with neuralink the they're not afraid of being a little bit black mirror and in his live stream which was on friday elon musk literally mentioned how they are a little bit like black mirror and it's going to be a bit black mirror ish Uh, another question from twitter will you be able to save and replay memories in the future uh yes i think uh in the future you'll be able to save and replay memories um i mean this is obviously sounding increasingly like a black mirror episode um but uh, well, I guess they're pretty good at predicting. Um, but yeah, essentially, if, if you have a whole brain interface, everything that's encoded in memory, you could uh, you could upload. You could basically store your memories um, as a backup and restore the memories. Then um, ultimately, you could potentially download them into a new body or into a robot body. The future is going to be weird. He actually said that 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 Black Mirror is predicting the future really accurately or kind of something similar to that. I found that extremely worrying because, <laughs> to be honest, I find, when I watch a Black Mirror episode, sometimes it just kind of it really messes me up for quite a while afterwards. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to pace myself through something like that. You know, I can't watch more than a few at a time or I start kind of getting really kind of, worried about the future yeah same and i think that's why we need to encourage the those who are working on the technology for good rather than the profit-based technology so they're doing it just just for the money or for the likes or for the notoriety however you say it um so some of the things that he did say was in the future, you're going to be able to save and replay memories. Ultimately, you can download these memories into a new body or robot body, and that's where it was a bit Black Mirror-ish. Mm, yeah, yeah. Or, or the idea of having multiple Neuralink devices implanted all over your all over your head um, <laughs> and able to change deep inside the brain as well as the surface locations activity as well as continuously recording. I mean, that there's so many 
issues around that. It, yeah, there are, yeah. and I, I think that's why. <laughs> I think that's why he said it though, because he wanted this to, wanted be, to be controversial. He did. He it did. It works because it look, did. we're talking about it now. Yeah, yeah, and that, but it's that's also the reason. It is, but it's also the, the reason why I wanted to have you on because I think we need to talk about how brain-computer interfaces really are going to be over the next few years because even though Elon Musk is working on something that I think is inevitable, I, I think that, and you might uh, disagree with me here, but his technology, I don't think he's going to back off with putting wires in brains anytime soon. He's not going to... No. He's not going to pull back and say, "I don't want to stream music to your, to people's brains." I think he's going to go at this his full initial, throttle, just like he, yeah. His initial yeah. reason and the, the reasons he stated went before, like right at the start of Neuralink, when he was was first bringing up the idea and building teams around it, was because he wants humans to be able to compete against artificial intelligence when it emerges like general artificial intelligence, the kind of thing that, that could wipe us out as a species yeah. potentially if, if it's built the wrong way. And that, that yeah. is quite concerning. I mean, if he's trying to make us upgrade that way, I mean, would we be better on focusing on building a ethical machine? Because I don't think no matter how much enhancement a human has, we can't compete with them with an artificial general intelligence because they can bootstrap themselves yeah. over and over in, in a matter of a tiny amount of time. We can't, we can't do that as people. No, that's right. But what else can we do? Can we, True. you know, we can stay as we are and I'm definitely not a supporter of becoming half robot, half human, although people in our circles, Casey, are. Um, but I do think maybe his there, intentions. There's so many are amazing good. applications. Yeah. But anyone who's read a bit of science fiction and or watched Star Trek and, and seen things like the Borg, where where and where people are really subsumed by the technology that that's inside them, it's a valid concern for people to have. Yeah. So Elon Musk might be working on something that could save us. But yeah. in the meantime, it might pave the way for some pretty ethically. Uh... Stuff. So, Casey, what are you working on at the moment? Okay. At the moment, what we're building are sent the, the core and most important part are sensors that can measure the blood volume and the way that the blood moves around in your brain. And this is important because it's exactly the same the way that an MRI works. So when you have a functional MRI, it measures where the blood is in your brain and that matches, and we know that it matches from, from doing experiments where we have an electrical measurement as well as a, a blood flow measurement in an MRI, and that actually directly correlates with with blood with the brain activity. So, when you have brain activity happening inside your brain, immediately the blood moves from from where there's low activity or 
it, it shunts the blood to the part of the brain that's, that's having the most activity, which makes sense because if you're, if you're having full, if you're concentrating on something, then the, the blood is going to go to the part of the brain where it needs to be to keep the nerves happy and to keep them humming along. So we're building the sensors to measure that so that we can work out what's happening inside the brain as far as a, an overall pattern and then from there use that pattern to do a therapy called neurofeedback uh, which is using this using a the what's happening inside the brain to give you a, a direct feedback onto a device so you can work out so from there you can actually start to learn okay when i'm concentrating this is what it looks like on on the game or when i'm concentrating this is what it feels like i can i can actually feed that back and this is this kind of therapy's been going for a long time i mean the the first thing first time i heard about it, it i just thought it was it couldn't possibly be true because the first first research in this was in epilepsy and it was in patients that couldn't respond that didn't respond to any medication or any other therapy and they were being taught what a seizure felt like or they were being taught how to understand when they were approaching a seizure based on how mentally they felt and when I saw that they were having an 80% um, reduction in um, seizures just from this kind of training, so I thought as a scientist, because I was a research scientist at the time, and I thought, no, surely not. This, is, this can't be true. And that's, that's where this all started for me. Well, this just was about scepticism. <laughs> well, this was about 10 years ago, and I can understand because even just two years ago when I was learning a little bit, because this is when Elon was doing his thing, and I was learning a little bit about what a brain-computer interface was, even then people were saying, what are you doing? You're insane. No one's ever going to take that up. So for you to keep going for years and years doing your research and building this is pretty profound. I mean, it's that's dedication. But why? Why did you keep going? What is the what's the underlying reason to it all? Well, initially, the um, the reason was just out of pure curiosity, and because I'm diagnosed with ADHD and autism myself, and I knew pretty soon after I first started looking at this therapy that it was also being explored in in ADHD particularly to improve concentration for people with ADHD. And I thought, well, damn, this is going to be so much better than the medication because the results were, were saying, oh, well, when you've been doing this therapy, you can have the benefits all the time. You don't have it, – it's not like, say, for medication, you take the medication, you've got to wait till it's working, mm. and then it, then it wears off and you've got to, you've got to take it again. And the irony of ADHD is that sometimes you can't concentrate enough to take the medication that helps you concentrate. Right. So <laughs> I find it's that particularly ironic. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, okay. So these this brain computer interface that Cortex is developing, how is it different? So we've got invasive, which I think is Elon Musk's, and then you've got the non-invasive. But why why are you developing a non-invasive? Is it because it's easier to to develop? It's um, it's more ethically sound, or why? What's the technology behind it, and why is it is it maybe better? Well, my initial, well, basically because if you have an implanted system, the whole family can't use it. Mm. For one, mm-hmm. two, there's not as many ethical issues around having something that doesn't get implanted, and three. Well, there's lots of other points, but another one is that that you can't if you if you want to not stop using it, you just take it off your head. Yeah. And also, if it's going to be implanted, there's so many um, regulatory concerns and everything like that. And and my my interest was never to to create something that was permanent. It was always to create a therapy that therapy device that you use to improve your condition. And once you've once you've used it, you take it off and go on with the rest of your day. Or you use it whenever you want and don't use it whenever you want. So it's a it's much more attractive as far as I'm concerned as because there's no way that I'd be having something implanted unless I was the multi – I wouldn't want to have anything to do with the Elon Musk device until it's at least to the – maybe to the 20 million implants. And even then, I'd want to give it another 10 years after that just because it's such a big change. We'll see what happens with it, but it's such a big deal. And also the brain is a really, like you said in, the, in his live stream, and what I know from, from my time in neuroscience is that the brain is a really uh, aggressive and protective environment. So if you put anything into the brain – the brain immediately starts to to coat it with um, protein and and cover it in in proteins and and try and break it down with acids. It I mean we inside our body is actually quite a difficult environment for putting things into, and that's why that's part one reason why heart valves and things like that artificial heart valves they're quite um they need to be replaced because the body coats them and covers them in in proteins and and they build up things. I mean, then because they're not alive, they can't clean themselves. They can't um, repair themselves all the time like our our actual living parts do. So any implanted device is also going to have those issues. Yeah, I heard him talking about how that's one of the biggest setbacks. So they can the the technology itself is a cinch according to them, but what they are having trouble with is the actual biocompatibility. I think they yeah. So the brains eat eating, and the- that's always that is really a major issue for for any implant. Like mm. it's yeah. I mean the 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 good thing about things like the cochlea is because it's it's in a part of the body that's really quite um isolated. So if you're putting it into the co- into the into that part of the the ear, it doesn't really have much. It's not a liquid environment so much it's a it's an open environment it doesn't have all of the, the toxic liquids that not toxic to us but toxic to anything non-biological 
Mm. So it's a it's an ideal thing for to start as an implant thing. And I mean, I think it's amazing to see the kids at school because my daughter goes to a um, to a deaf designated school. She's not deaf, but there's so many kids with cochlears at her school. I'd say that every third kid has a cochlear. Wow! And that is it's so cool to see them kids that that would previously have only been able to to sign but now they're able to speak and hear and it's like we get we get messages on the school facebook um group of oh such and such has lost their um lost their cochlear um external part because they have an external um battery and i think it's a battery and a um antenna that goes to um that communicates with the implanted device Right. So it's like a microphone that talks to the implanted device. They're not connected physically, but they they um they talk to each other. But yeah, it's I think it's awesome. I, and yeah. Well, I know that some of the the cochlears, I think ethically they're fantastic. What some of the other invasive brain computer interfaces are aiming to achieve though is to use cochlear implants to to communicate directly with the brain and that's one of the things i think and and to stream music directly to the brain and and really just to interact or interface directly with the brain so Mm. cochlear is awesome the cochlear is is a replacement Mm. so what it does is is put in the, the parts that are damaged and not everyone can, can is not every deaf person is able to um to use them because mm. they need to actually have the intact nerves yeah. for the electronic device to activate so if they don't they they're just they're unable to have that so in the case of the Neuralink system people who aren't able to have a cochlear implant because they um because they don't have an order, an active auditory nerve, if that's if their auditory nerve is dead, they wouldn't usually be able to have a cochlear, as far as I understand. With a Neuralink system, what you could do would be to put those wires into the into the auditory centre of the brain. Yeah, yeah. And then then that person would be able to hear. And see, yeah. I don't have an issue with that. No. I don't have an issue with 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 improving function or or giving the person a sense that they should have. My concern is when when it's a conversation about, are we going to improve the way their brain works by continually electrically stimulating the brain? I mean, we take medications that do that with antidepressants are able to improve the, the function in people where they their serotonin and dopamine levels are too low for them to be able to function in normal life, I get that completely. Mm. There's there's a lot of issues around how to regulate a system that has such power. Yeah, and one of the concerns is so the more the more that you have embedded in the brain, the easier it is for someone to come and switch it off. You know, someone to hack it. Or someone to let's just say you don't pay your bill for your hearing service, <laughs> or whatever it it might be, whatever the case might be. Let's just say Spotify in the future has um, has a service that goes through the Neuralink 
And I know this sounds really sci-fi, but I can imagine that services, you can pay for streaming services direct to the, the brain in the future, including music. So imagine if one of those services was was Spotify and you were using their system to hear things or, you know, to access cer- certain things that y- you rely on in your life. And if you, for some reason, um, I don't know, maybe there might be a warrant for your arrest. And so everything gets shut off. So you don't have your hearing, you don't have your vision, you know. So there's there's a lot of... An even more concerning one that goes towards more Black Mirror style would be for a um, for an autocratic government to decide what you are able to hear. Oh, yeah. Where they filter out what content you can have based yeah. on what they do deem as appropriate. And that is extremely, extremely worrying. Or they can adjust the way that your your attitude is towards certain topics so they can make you really like a certain topic and not like another one. And that's that's absolutely not what what we're looking to do. We're measuring and giving you direct feedback on what's happening. We're, our system doesn't stimulate. It only gives you the same type of feedback you get for an arm or a leg or or from your hearing, it doesn't. We don't actually have any stimulating part of our uh, our system. So that's the major difference between us and Neuralink. They're talking about measuring and stimulating at the same time. We're talking about just measuring and giving you a visual or auditory or or a touch feedback feedback on how your brain's functioning, so you can learn it just like you'd learn how to how to move your hand or or to walk along. And that, that kind of ties into the way the brain likes to learn. So we're, it's a learning process to use our device versus a we're going to stimulate this part of your brain whether you like it or not. And I find that particularly worrying. Yeah. See, when it's, when it's just a headset that you can pop on your head, that is, look, I, I think every second person would be keen to use that, keen to, because it's not just for, I mean, it's obviously we're designing the brain this particular headset for people who are living with ADHD and autism. Yeah, and also with um, brain injuries and yeah. it also seems to be showing some really good promise in um, depression and anxiety for people yeah. to learn how to regulate those conditions. Um, but that's that research has still got a lot got a lot of stuff to go, but yeah. it's looking very promising at this stage. Yeah, but also as a, you know, when it comes to gaming and virtual reality, but also you do, even if you don't have a neurological condition, and let's just say, I'm going to put this out there, that you wanted to use this head, headset because you want to strengthen your brain in some way. Let's just say you want to enhance your memory capacity. Um, could you use it to do that? Would you be able to visually via neurofeedback by putting on this this headset be able to see how your brain is functioning when it comes to memory and then play a video game or something to enhance your memory capacity absolutely how would that work that's there's actually been some research studies on people with no cognitive issues so no no um underlying issues like me where where 
for example, going in and doing the cooking in the kitchen is is a bit like um, trying to do a um, Rubik's Cube with my hand tied behind my back, Mm. not being able to see the colours because I've got to try and coordinate the timing of when I have food, cooking and, and which thing I need to do next. And before I started my ADHD medication, I would literally kind of be in the kitchen rotating around in circles, not knowing which thing to do next. I mean, yeah. it, it, this therapy helps with that kind of thing. That's, kind of, that's called executive function. But what the research is showing is that because people are curious, they want to know, does neurofeedback improve people without any um, underlying problem? And they found that, yeah, it does. It's, it's providing, it provides significant improvements in function if you have no underlying issues. So you can actually optimise your brain function, which is pretty cool. I mean, our drive is initially to help people who have issues that make their daily life really really difficult. Hmm. But if we can help other people who who want to improve their brain function, even that's even better. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a little bit excited about that too. Just being at like... Maybe when it comes to memory, memory capacity or learning another language or learning to play an instrument and being able to put the headset on and although it's not our primary focus, it could be used to... Well, imagine, imagine being able to see what it looks like when a, yeah. when a violinist is, is, playing, is playing their violin and seeing how their brain fires. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't wait to try that because... Yeah. I'll have to fix. I'll have to get my bow fixed, and um, <laughs> and set it up, and see what it, what it looks like when I'm when I'm accessing memories of of songs, <gasps> and whether it can measure that my that a certain part of my brain starts to to um to get more blood flow into it. I mean yeah. that would be so cool. Imagine that. It feels like art to me. I can imagine rec- recording. It's, the interactions it's cool that it. you mentioned, um, mentioned playing an instrument because that actually relates directly to one of the origins of neurofeedback, which was researchers were trying to work out why playing an, learning to play an instrument improved the, the function of people with um, cog, cognitive issues so much. Why was it that, that learning an instrument seemed to be almost protective and reducing their symptoms so much, so significantly. And that kind of led into, well, actually, they by doing that, that playing that instrument, they're actually doing a form of neurofeedback because mm-hmm. you're listening to what's happening. You're having to coordinate your hand or your, your mouth to make that certain shape. And that is triggering the, the, um, the patterns inside your brain that that lead to new nerve function but learning an instrument's hard it's really really hard and this i don't want what we what we know from the research is that that neuro doing neurofeedback when you where you play a game is a lot um, is much easier than spending hours a day playing an instrument Mm -hmm. and that's what that brings me to my next question how is it going to change lives over the next 20 years I mean, what, what do you think a brain-computer interface will look like in, in a couple of decades, given that technology is exponential? And not Black Mirror, but how it's going to benefit? Personally, I keep going back to um, 
the Spielberg movie, um, Ready Player One, yeah. where they have a suit that you can wear that measures where your body is and and you have an interface that, that measures what's what you uh what what's happening inside your brain and lets you being inside an invert in immersive VR um augmented reality style situation. I mean that I think we're heading towards something like that where you can interact with people around all around the world via that kind of um interface. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if we have things that are more severe than COVID come along, yeah, we might well be isolated like that. I hope not, because even for me as someone with autism, it's it's been kind of hard not to to be able to 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 meet with people easily, or or actually having to think so hard before I shake someone's hand or anything like that. So, do you? What are the other benefits? I mean. There are a few different industries that it's going to impact. Um, I mean, the the gaming industry, which is a, going to be a trillion-dollar industry, add brain-computer interfacing and playing games just with your brain, not even using your hands. Can you see any other applications where in a couple of decades it's just going to, you, you can't even imagine or, you know, from your insight? Well, I think that the um, as far as the sensors we're building, they're going to be able to be used not only for the brain but also for other parts of the body. So for for things like um, bionic limbs or say the the exoskeletons that are becoming more and more um, prevalent for for people doing um, heavy manual tasks. So they they're building um, uh, like a, a frame that you wear. And it, it at the moment it measures the muscles in your arm, but it's not a um, it's a, a slower process because it's measuring muscle activity versus actually if it was measuring the intended brain activity, it's a lot more um, smooth. Mm. So things like um, personal robotics and things like that that could be a big application. Um, yeah. Just trying to think, what else could it do? I'll have to think about that. I don't, I was just something that just came to me was you know the nanobots sort of from from afar you can well the nanobots go in and you program them to go into the human body and um, I guess do mini micro surgeries that yeah. surgeons can't do. I can imagine that you might be able to go and look inside your own body with your own brain personal nanobots yeah say oh i've got a bit of a headache what's going on there you know and just and just use your brain to visually um, internal doctor yeah yeah i mean that that's quite that's quite realistic to to think about it that way i mean it it depends on how the the nanotech sector develops whether they go for purely um I think they're going to go for things that can be interactive and yeah. programmable because that makes sense. At the moment, everything is passive. You have something with a, um, for example, they're building um, uh, therapies to, to help with certain cancers, for example, yeah. where they, they, they target uh, a cancer with a particular molecule and then they, 
they attach that to a to a killing part so it can be activated when 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 they've got enough of those things around the cancer to kill it all but they have to do it slowly so they release the um the, they, they then inject the signal that causes that killing but they only do it they kind of put it into the into the vein and they they produce it slowly so you slowly eat away at this at the cancer and it doesn't release it all at once because that can cause major issues with with um blood pressure and everything else if you break down a cancer all at once wow so that's a passive system so imagine what an active system could do yeah well i mean if it spots a can like if you're feeling a bit off and you go oh i've got a bit of a a problem with my throat send your little nanobot down there, have a look with your brain. Oh, it looks like there's a cancer. I'll just activate these little bots and they'll just get rid of that before it even becomes a problem. Mm, I mean, yeah, that, and that's the kind of thing that, well, that, that's what, what we were thinking that could be happening by now back in the, in the 1980s. <laughs> well, I just think an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure, you know. Like, let's have a look at what's going on before back it becomes the a problem. Last night, the night before last, it was like, yeah, we should have had that that um, hoverboard by now. Sure. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, yes, it's taken a while. I mean, we've got our flying cars and, you know, just giant drones basically just jump on that. But the hoverboard. What I really want is a Mr. Fusion. What's a Mr. Want, Fusion? It's like a, a little tiny fusion unit that provides whatever power you want. Oh, you just yes. have it on the bench and you fill it with um, you fill it with your kitchen scraps. Imagine that. I so wanted that as a kid. So it produced, you put all your kitchen scraps in there and it powers your house. Yeah, that was a back to future, back to the future imagination. Oh, I mean, epic. The potential of fusion stuff. I, mm. I just really hope it, hope we, we really need it right now. At least, I mean, they're getting close. They are. Well, I, I have recently heard that in Russia they have the first Tesla tower and not the Elon Musk Tesla, but the original really? Tesla. They built yeah, them. I might send it to you, Casey. It's uh, yeah. there's they're cool. powering a whole with this tower. They're powering a whole town, apparently. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, look, you I'd might like debunk me. The, um, <laughs> I'd like to know what the um, RF um, levels were, because if you if you're sent, I mean, if it's sending it through the ground like Tesla wanted to, no problem. If it's sending wireless signals like wireless power through the air i'd want to have a lot of testing around it because wireless power that that is is high power radiation oh it is anything that's high power enough i mean that becomes a potential issue because it interacts with cells and causes damage like what we're using for our device is near infrared so it's the lowest the lowest power of of light so it's the kind of light you get out of a out of a lamp or a um say if you shine a torch through your hand you're shining infrared radiation through your hand the the red that comes through is is near infrared versus the the light from the sun which is ultraviolet which is high power so it can actually knock atoms out of your skin which causes that's the precursor that goes to skin cancer and on top of that near infrared light is a therapy anyway so True. I mean, they're using they're using high powered near infrared light to heal um, stroke um, mm. damage in brains, which I 
found very reassuring because the, the key for me is to make sure we're not doing any harm to start with. Yeah. Because the worst, I mean, the two worst things for me would be for this to not, one, not work as it's supposed to, and two, if it caused any injury to anyone, that would be the, that would be absolutely not what we want. We want something that's, that's very um, non-invasive and very gentle to people. It doesn't hurt them, but they can, that, but does actually help. Well, that's what I'm passionate about as well. So I've said to you before, Casey, that this to me, because my, that I have a huge focus on ethical technologies and technologies for good. I feel like what we're doing here with Cortex is the most important thing I'm ever going to do in my life. The amount, the problems it's going to solve, the people's lives it's going to impact, it's it's going to be incredible. I think you you and I, as we build the team, and I mean we're we're doing the prototyping tomorrow. Yeah, that's pretty uh, we've cool. Won, we've Looking won awards so far. <laughs> I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, Neil's going to try do his best to find our our the thing that's going to destroy us. He said <laughs> he's going to find the um our Achilles heel as a as a startup and and tell yeah. us what 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 is the worst possible thing a competitor could come up with to destroy us. And that's what we need to know. We need to know these things. It's going to be exciting. Well, thank you so much, Casey, for having a chat with me today about brain-computer interfaces. It's always awesome to talk to you. I'm probably going to talk to you again today because that's how we roll. But have a, have a lovely day and thanks for coming on. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. listening to this week's episode with Casey Fluger. Until next time, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Stay safe, enjoy the company of your loved ones, and of course, enjoy the rabbit holes.